Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. just a couple of things I want to say before we uh, just get into a little teaching talk. Thanks, Simon. Um, one is that uh, we had a fairly difficult issue to address um, this week relating to um, this house and the future and our role in the city. And um, I, I, in addressing that, had two people with me. One was Jenny Byrne who you heard earlier, and the other one was Graham uh, Grant, who's on the way to South Africa now. It was like having Christian, An- Christi- Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi on the same team. <laughs> they, they were awesome representing you, and uh, we made some very, very significant process, uh, progress in... Uh, in what we were dealing with. And I just want to say that as thanks to Jenny and also thanks to Graham, who hopefully will, will watch this. And thanking them on your behalf. We have some great people. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. We have some great people and uh, we are shaping our future. And this is a year of hope. So it's good. So we'll keep, we'll keep you up. You don't need to know all the detail of that, but we'll keep you up to speed as we... Uh, we go. I also want to say we, this happens to us very regularly now and um, I hope we're on now and make sure this goes on the post-broadcast if it's not seen live. But we had a lovely letter this week from uh, a lady called Caroline Beck who for two years has been um, making this teaching and this influence so much part of her life and uh, very kindly um, has written to us again to encourage us in that. Let us know, like I said to people, let us know that you're listening. Let us know that how we're helping you. Sent us a couple of lovely books. So I just wanted you to know that and also thank you to Caroline for your encouragement. Greatly appreciated and we trust that that will, uh, that that will continue. Um, all right, so um, we, we're going to bump into God for a few minutes again. Okay. And uh, I still, I still want to... Um, title this as number eight of my uh, is the Bible real and for real is it the word of God or the construct of man because we're wrestling with the very things that Jenny so wonderfully read out in um, in that that cue for quest from our um, from our website and as I said we'll read to you one of those uh, every week but go on and read for yourself um, uh, I need to talk to you sometime about whether the Bible should be read allegorically or literally. Now, you understand the term allegorical. That's where uh, it's, it's stories that mean something more than or other than the story. Okay, so the story is real, but it also means something else. Uh, or whether we should read it literally, but that's not tonight. Okay. Um, I, I have had the privilege uh, of the last few weeks of continuing to talk to you where normally Chris and Joel and Jenny and we'd be mixing it up. So uh, um, I'm going to take this opportunity just to do something I think it's important because it, if it sounds a lot like I'm repeating myself from last week, uh, that may be just because I am. Okay. So you will not be mistaken in that assumption. Now, 
Uh, for those of you guests with us and um, uh, obviously not here, all our stuff is free online. You're very welcome to listen if it's of any interest to you. But what I have to say tonight will also stand alone um, in its own right. Um, I read something last week. I want to read you a little bit more of it. This is also from the, um, uh, the On The Pulse on our website. If the Bible is the record of God's interaction with humanity in all its diversity and complexity then it's still being written. I absolutely believe that. Not on sheets of rice paper between leather covers, but in and through the hearts and lives and experiences of people journeying through life and bumping into God, though many don't know it yet. Now, I, I hold the written Bible precious. I can be contentious in some ways about how we uh, look at that, but I think that's good because it, it returns the Bible back to its original traditions, which was an oral tradition where conversation and discussion were the order of the day. Not some guy standing up and saying, this is what you have to believe, but rather a rabbi was there to encourage you to have a little think and teach you how to think, not tell you what to think. So one of the things that you will not find in, in The Rock is someone up here telling you what to think. We, we try to teach you, first of all, how to think and then stimulate your thinking that hopefully we'll come to some conclusions together. And uh, if we don't come to the same conclusions, that's really healthy. Because it means we're not under control, we're not being manipulated. It means that in our freedoms, we are each one of us looking for and finding God in new ways and able to share that with each other. Okay, so, so um, I, I also believe, as I, as I said there, that the Bible is still being written. I, I, I don't think everything God can say and has said and will say can possibly con- be contained within, within a, a leather-bound book. If, if, for me, if that's all God has to say and all God can say and all God is saying, pretty sad. Um, but I think within the framework of that and beyond the framework of that, God was speaking before ever a word was ever put into print of the Bible and he was living with and dealing with people and he's been speaking after the Bible was put into print, living with people and working with people. So, so you may just be the Bible to me tonight. Your, your life may just be that word that, that I love this phrase. I mean, I, I just, I, I read it last week. I absolutely love it. This phrase of bumping into God. I think it's just fabulous. Because I've realized more and more outside of the rigid frameworks of, of what I believed was the nature of God and how God is connected with and how God connects with people, I've realized it's much more organic and much more fresh and much more happening in that, in that I realized outside of all those recognized means I'd been bumping into God more times than I could count. And uh, I believe the same is also true of you and me. Do you know, even things like you come into a place like this and the song is sung that has the words that you were thinking about or the need that you had is bumping into God, okay? All of a sudden, it's like you have a moment of something divine squeezes its way into the natural and um, I believe that's happening tonight. So, so last week, I, I, I talked about at uh, this verse in, in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 16. 
which is put beautifully in the New International Version of the Bible, and it's very accurate. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. And uh, I talked a little bit last week about how that literal Greek there literally means God-breath, God's breath. It's God-breathed. It's not just some inspiring thing. It's actually God's breath itself is what comes out in, in, in Scripture. And that breath in Greek and in Hebrew is the same as spirit. So, so when God breathes, something of, something of God's spirit touches us but I believe all scripture is God breathed so I believe that God is still breathing and when God breathes his spirit still speaks and and we're still hearing him now now of course then I went on to talk to you about that there is a difference between someone breathing down your neck and breathing in your face uh, one of the one of the colloquialisms the terminologies that we use for pressure and threat is that, that, that the boss was breathing down my neck or, or they were breathing down my neck. We use it for pressure and threat. Well, if all scripture is God breathed, that poses a question that are the words of the Bible making you feel like God is breathing down your neck or that God is breathing in your face? Now, I don't mean God going and irritating you like, you know, one of the strange issues of life, okay, Dogs don't like you to blow in their face. But you put a dog in a car and put the window down, what does the dog do? It's like, what's all that about? The, the, issue, of, the issue of breathing in one's face, I, I like to rather put in the sense that breathing down one's neck is the evidence of a threat. The other is the precursor to a kiss. So, so I try to propose to you that, that when Scripture is God-breathed, that Scripture should be like the precursor to a kiss. It's like the gentle breath of God. Just like in, in, in intimacy between people, that, that there has to be a breathing in the face for there to be the coming of a kiss. And the kiss is the expression of the intimacy. And it's the breath that comes that brings then the intimacy. So, so my question is about the Bible, that if the Bible to you feels like God breathing down your neck, rather than he wanting to just kiss you, I would suggest to you that your, your understanding of the purpose of the Bible has become distorted. Um, the Bible's a strange book in some ways, and you know I'm, I've been a minister for many years now. I've been in, in full-time ministry for for um, over 30 years this year. I've been a senior leader for 25 years this year, and it's fine. You can get me an MX5. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, um, and I have been in church literally since the the first weekend after being born. So I mean I'm. I wish I could say to you, you know, I was the wild, well, I don't wish I could say to you, but I can't say to you, I was the wild child who was out there doing this, that, and the other. I was in church from the first weekend of my life. Uh, and I make no apologies for that. It, it's been great. Um, have I checked the world out? Yeah, I checked the world out. Of course I have. I, I had a real job before this as well. And... Uh, I've been exposed to all kinds of things. One of my one of my jobs as an apprentice was to was to hide one of the guys that I worked for in our gang and his labourer who used to sneak off every afternoon to the Lehman across the railway lines, which they shouldn't have done, get drunk and come back drunk. So my job, this is my job as an apprentice, this was my tremendous training. 
My job was to make sure the foreman didn't catch the two guys who came back every day drunk. So I used to lock them in a, in a, in a locker in a room with, with, with wire walls. I'd put them in there and then lock it so they couldn't come out. That was, so you see how the skilled training they have had, okay? It was my apprenticeship. Um, so I, I said that to say I make, I make no apologies. I, I am very grateful for the course of my life. I'm very grateful for, for the challenges that, that, that I have encountered and the challenges that, that I have experienced. But, but those things formulate within us very often a view of God and they formulate a view of the Bible. And, and I have to say, I kind of knew God was a God of love, but I, I could always still kind of... I could still kind of feel the, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck kind of, oh, you know, God loves me, but, well, well, finding, finding a, different, a different expression of God and what I believe is the purpose is the important thing. So, so as I said to you, if, if your understanding of Scripture is it's God breathing down your neck, then you probably didn't get the point. Now, I also said that the Bible's a bit of a weird book because uh, if we're honest, which sometimes... Preachers, leaders, Christians don't want to be honest. There's an awful lot of genocide and murder and baby slaughtering and enemy crushing and land stealing. Which, which if, if you're anything like me, that some of you, that'll make you really uncomfortable, me just saying that, because I never wanted to admit it, but unfortunately it's true. Now, I, I don't believe it's true because God is a baby smiter and a land stealer. Uh, and, and a village destroyer and a people killer but, but I do think people in the name of God do all kinds of stuff that we have the privilege of reading a book that allows us to assess mm, does that really sound like something God would do or does that sound like something somebody might want to do but it makes it very authentic if you can say God told me to do this we killed all your women and children because God told us to kill them. My question would be, did he? And again, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm just saying we dare to ask the question because like Beth was saying, there are people who nobody wants to ask or answer these questions that are very real. Now, I don't have a problem with the Bible because when you read it through the lens of God breathing in your face, not breathing down your neck, you can start to separate and divide correctly and look and say... We were monkeys with this. God's trying to be with us. God's trying to help us. God's trying to love us. God's trying to change the world. And we start thinking empire and power and overcoming and taking into captivity. And so do you see, see what I mean? Now, you've got to wrestle with these things. It's good to wrestle with these things. And I release you to wrestle with these things. And if you have any questions, see Chris. So... The Bible actually gives us a window into people's lives, how they bumped into God or how he bumped into them. And I love the fact that all of the heroes are villains of one sort or another. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? You know, we, we throw these names around, David and Moses and Abraham and Jacob, They're all villains of one kind or another. I mean, seriously. Uh, who certainly didn't qualify for the honor that they receive by their genetics, their ethnicity, or human effort. But can you see that's part of the point, okay? 
They were fallen, failing people, regular human beings like me and you, made good. That's, that's the wonder of this thing, that if you get past all the nonsense and who said what and why they said it and what were they trying to justify, what you actually arrive at is a bunch of fallen, failing people, regular human beings made good. Like us in here tonight. It also reveals how people can record things to make their point rather than God's point. I propose to you, uncomfortable though it may be, that something's written within the leather pages, the leather, the leather bindings of our book, sometimes with people trying to make their point rather than trying to make God's point. And uh, I have had to wrestle with this and fight and argue and get angry and repent, I don't do repent very good. Um, I'm pretty stubborn, I have an aversion to coercion. Um, which should make you feel a little safe, because if I, if I have come to some conclusions about this, I have a deep aversion to coercion. If I'm fixed in what I want to think and I change, you better know something powerful changed me. So something powerful changed me bumping into God because I realized that things I were trying to sometimes defend were people making their point rather than people making God's point. And God's point is really lovely and it's quite simple really. God so loved the world, he gave that whoever should not but have. I mean, it's, it all gets pretty uh, amazing and you really encounter um, not a God of anger, not, not a God of judgments, but a God of grace and a God of kindness and a God of mercy and a helpful God who is not breathing down your neck but is trying to approach you. The breath that you feel is his intimacy that's saying, if only you'd just kiss me back, this could be really good. So, one of those characters and one of those stories in particular perfectly relates to what we believe is our stimulus for this year, which is 2016, a year of hope. Um, really what that means simply is this, it's about kissing God, okay? If the point is not the kiss, then you miss the point, okay? Because all scripture is God breathed. The point is the kiss, okay? And the kiss brings with it all the intimacy, all the passion all the desire, all the potential, all the purpose of the kisser, who I believe is God. So when we engage with Scripture as written and God speaking as now, we engage with the passion and, and the intimacy and the purpose and the protection and the love and the kindness of God. So, so for me, the, the, if the point's not the kiss, you missed the point. So, so this guy who, who, who relates this, I talked about a little bit, Um, last week and it was really an example of kissing God it's in Romans chapter 4 some verses from verse 18 I won't read the whole thing because um, I I just want to skip through this to to some other points but here's what it says Abraham was the guy okay Abraham's the character he's a significant character in the Bible uh, known as the father of faith because he represents some principles that really reveal to us the kiss of God Now, I suppose he was a fairly decent guy. He was also a liar and a cheat. I'm of you know he can still be a pretty decent guy and a liar and a cheat. The lovely thing is that God's not looking for decent guys and he's not rejecting liars and cheats. He's looking for decent guys who might be liars and cheats. 
so that in the midst of that he can show that what happens is not because of who they are, it's because of who he is. So every issue where these villains like Abraham and like Hans Chapman and all these come in, it's all about, not about showing who they are, but about who God is. Now, one of the things you realize that where, where religion misses the kiss of God and is the breathing down the neck is it's always, wanting, it's always wanting to deal with the issues of people's failures. Like, like the issue is your failure. If you can sort out your failure, you'll be okay with God. God's not like that. See? So, so it's, not about, it's not about how you behave towards God. It's about how God behaves towards you. Now, when you kiss the God who behaves that way towards you, things will change with you, but that's not a prerequisite. See? It's not about, it's not about what you can earn. It's about what you're willing to receive, and we're often not very good at that, are we? Because actually most of us prefer a kind of gospel that is earned, because then we can say... I earned this, I'm good, I'm better than him. She might be better than him, but I'm better than her, although she's better than... And we kind of somehow uh, qualify and accredit ourselves by the things that we have done. You, you have to learn a new way of thinking if you're going to encounter the true gospel, which is that you don't earn none of it, right? But you receive all of it. And if you can learn to be a receiver rather than an earner, it will change not only how you see yourself, but how you see the world, and it will change how you see God when you learn to be a receiver rather than one who earns it. So this guy Abraham, okay, God had said to him, I want you to be the father of something amazing. So the problem was he didn't have a kid. And uh, for, the, for the purpose of the story, showing us that this was to be reality and not just imagination. He needed to have a child. So God said, I'll bring nations out of you. Problem was, Abraham's 100 years old and his wife's 90 years old and the natural course of time had, uh, had taken its toll and uh, neither of them were capable of accomplishing what you would think was necessary for this amazing promise on his life to take place. So this is what Romans 4.18 says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. So let's forget becoming father of many nations for now. He became something that he wasn't. Okay? I am a very strong believer that at the core of the gospel is God's desire to make us something that we're not. To make us something we can't be by human effort. But I believe it's impossible to bump into the Abba of Jesus, the Father of Jesus, the God of creation, without, without becoming something, okay? It's not about reducing you to be nothing, it's about causing you to become something probably for the first time in your life. Now, of course, he says here, against all hope, Abraham in hope, belief. So, so the question is, against all hope, what kind of hope? Well... I believe what it means is against the kind of hope that most of us have, Abraham, in a different kind of hope, believed. Okay, What's the kind of hope most of us have? Hope I'll have enough money to get through the week. Oh, hope this pain in my stomach's not cancer. Oh, you know, I hope I'm not going to get made redundant. I hope the company does okay so I'll be fine. I hope I'll have enough money when I retire with my pension. 
you know, I, I hope my marriage doesn't fall down. I, I hope we're never involved in another war. Can you see how we talk hope? Hope, when we use it, is always a confession of a negative that's really declaring that we believe we're just one step from failure. Okay? That's how we use hope. And, and so the kind of hope that's talking about, against that kind of hope, because that kind of hope isn't actually hope. It says, Abraham, in hope, believe. What kind of hope? The different kind of hope. The kind of hope I'm going to talk to you about again and repeat to you my definition again because I want you to be able, in the, every moment you hear the word hope, the first thing that springs into your head is this definition of hope, which I'll tell you in a minute. Because of that kind of hope, he became what he was supposed to be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts. You see, this is not about a fire escape from hell. It's not about, well, you know, uh, we want you to find a way that you don't have to face the facts. Because not facing the facts doesn't resolve the problem, does it? It just causes you to lie to yourself and lie to the situation. When actually, if you understand now that God and the Bible are not breathing down your neck with threat, but are breathing in your face to kiss you with the passion of God, you realize that actually you can see things as they really are. You can face the facts. So Abraham faced the facts. It's like, huh, God, baby, huh, really, hmm? Us, yeah, really, hmm? Mm. I suppose if he wasn't a Jew, he'd have said pigs might fly, but those of you you understand a little bit about Hebrew culture would know that's a silly statement. Um, Face the facts. It says, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So Abraham made a choice that, well, okay, so mm, this is not looking too good, but um, maybe even in facing the facts, there is a kind of hope that in spite of the facts will carry me through to the manifestation of what is needed beyond those facts. And says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, this is very important, and let me just make a couple of statements about that. Abraham had neither the ability nor the resources to bring about what he had hoped for from the promise that he embraced, even if he had the desire. Desire was not the issue. He had the desire, but he didn't have the ability or the resources to bring it about. He's 100, she's 90. There's nothing going to happen there that's going to bring this baby to being. But because he embraced the promise, it took him beyond. So here's what I believe. He heard the spirit in the words and of the words and hope came alive. So you have a choice tonight. You, you, you can close your ears, which Jesus one day said to the people who were listening to him, close your ears and you've closed your eyes because if you really listened and heard and if you really looked and saw, you would be converted or in other words, you would become something beyond your circumstances. But you see, the issue is tonight you can do that or you can, or you can listen and hear these words and, and as you hear these words, hear the spirit in these words, and I guarantee you if you hear the spirit in these words, hope will come alive. Cut long story short, he felt the breath and kissed back. Okay. 
felt the breath and kissed back and it changed his life. That for me is the power of the word of God. It's the power of God being here. It's the power of bumping into him. You, you feel the breath and you kiss back and that's when something happens. Now, it talked about him being righteous. That's interesting because so much of, of the church's teaching on righteousness has been that you are righteous if you behave correctly. Do you know there's nowhere in the Bible that says that? Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. How did we come up with that conclusion? Because we saw the words of the Bible as God breathing down our neck with threats, so we thought he's obviously unhappy about how we behave and we're being threatened about how we behave. And so then we reinterpret God's kiss to be God's threat. It says Abraham believed what God said, and so God called him righteous. Here's my point on that, very simply, without getting too technical and too detailed. What you believe is more important than how you behave. What you believe is more important than how you behave. What you believe about God is more important than how you behave before God. What you believe about yourself is more important than how you behave in yourself. Abraham believed what God had said about him and what God had said about himself. And it says, so God said, you're a righteous man. You see, you're a righteous man and righteous woman tonight. If you believe what God says about himself and you believe what God says about you, what did God say about you? You're going to be the father of a multitude. Beyond your resources and beyond your abilities, something is going to come out and you can face the facts and you can see things really, but this is going to change. And so again, in the New, New Testament, as I, I kind of wind this through to where I want to go, in, 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 in the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 13, which will be familiar to many of you because you'll have heard it at weddings. It's the one that, you know, if I, um, love is gentle, love is kind, starts with if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. You know, if I can do miracles, if I know mysteries, but have not love. That's that chapter that, that some people think Paul must have written because he was thinking, huh, people are going to have weddings in 2,000 years' time and I better write something that they can use. It's what it feels like at times. But if you read that chapter, it's fascinating because it, it, it's actually one of the Apostle Paul's hardest-hitting chapters of anything he ever wrote. Let me summarize it for you. Paul puts everything that we churchy Christians aspire to and expend huge amounts of energy trying to achieve into three categories. An irritating noise, nothing because of it, gain nothing through it. So many of the things when he's talking about tongues of men of angels and wisdom and being able to understand all prophecies and, you know, having all this and all that, you know, Paul basically says, huh, really? Irritating noise, nothing because of it, gain nothing through it. And he goes on to make a powerful evaluation from his viewpoint that as far as the Christian gospel is concerned, when you strip away all that is just stuff you're left with only three things that truly matter. 
and we could survive and I could help you to survive as a community of people either looking for God or having found God or having found some of God and looking for the rest of God or not knowing where to even begin to look for God, wherever you sit in this equation, we could survive on three things because Paul says that these three things remain in his last verse, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13, so 13 is obviously not that unlucky. Now, these three remain. Now, would you agree with me when you use the phrase remain, it means that you had to have taken something away, right? So Paul's saying when you take all the stuff away, and it's been great tonight, but you know, all this is just stuff. It's all stuff. At the end of the day, it's not how good's your music team, how brilliant are your songs, you know, how comfortable are your seats, which they're not very comfortable, I apologise in here, but we can't take them out because of conservation orders and all that stuff, you know, and how warm's your church and who... That's all just stuff. He says only three things really matter, and it's these things, three things, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, I propose to you, because he said the greatest is love, love is first, because that's the greatest. So he says faith, hope, and love, but actually it works the other way around. It's love, hope, and faith. So actually, hope, which we're trying to establish tonight, because Abraham against hope, in hope, believed, the hope we're trying to establish actually comes from love. And it doesn't come from you loving somebody. It comes from you being understand how much you are loved by somebody. So when I began to learn that God and Scripture weren't breathing down my neck with threats, but were breathing in my face as the precursor to a kiss, I began to understand that I was incredibly loved by God. Not because of anything other than I am who I am, because some people say God loves you in spite of who you are. That's not kind. If I said to James, James, I love you, mate, in spite of who you are, which, which bit's James going to go away with? It's going to go away with the in spite of who you are. But if I say I love you, James, because of who you are, I love you, Mike, because of who you are, that's different. Now, people think, oh, God's breathing threat down our neck, so God loves us in spite of who we are. I propose to you God loves us because of who we are. God looks at Chris and says, I love Chris because she's Chris. Now, does that mean that there aren't things that... that he would like to see different in the context of the unfolding of that relationship. No, he would like to see those things. But he's not, oh, I love you all in spite of who you are. That's like, oh, I guess if I have to love you, I will. And then I'll just put up with your behavior. And it's just, I'll just, oh. That's why we have death. So at some point, I get a bit of peace. To... That, that's how death would work. That's how it would work. But you see, God loves us because of, so in all of it, he loves us beyond, right? He's not fed up with you, he's not mad with you, he's not angry with you, but he loves you because of who you are, but also loves you in spite of all that you do and all that you think and all the crazy things that we have gathered on board as we, we have gone along. And so, and so it begins with love. And when you begin to realize that kind of love, the God who is breathing his word as the precursor to a kiss, that begins to generate hope in you. And hope gives faith something to work with. We've talked some about this, but I, I wanted to reiterate that. So we've declared 2016 a year of hope. And uh, here's what it says in, again in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
Hope is the soul's anchor, which is designed to grip on that which is solid in a world that is fluid. Where do you put an anchor? You put it down into the water, which is fluid, which is threatening, which can, which can, can by its own tides and by its own movement, can take you in all kinds of directions. You put the anchor into the fluid, and it finds something secure in the midst of the fluid that allows you to remain stable. Hope goes through the fluidity of life, which none of us can predict, much of which we'd like to change some of which is extremely painful and difficult and we struggle to come to terms with what hope will do it just like an anchor in water it slips all the way through that stuff and it finds something to grip on now it talks about it finding something in the presence of God himself that is given as an anchor for us I, I believe it's the very heart of God himself and without it you drift on every tide and get swept away by every current so here we come to the definition of hope you see hope is not a confession that we're one step from failure. We're not hoping to get out of it or hoping to avoid it or hoping stuff will work for us. That is not hope. Hope is a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken and there may well even be another word beyond that. That's what this hope does. When I find that love that gives me this hope, find the hope that Abraham against that other hope, in hope believed, what he was saying is that I have a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken. Wow. That's the hope of the gospel. This is not, this is not survival mechanisms to get you through a tough life. This is the very essence of the creator himself coming into life. Abraham, against all hope, in this kind of hope believed and so became the father of him. Beyond his resources and past his abilities, all of a sudden something began to happen that was in his control, but not within his control to do the miracle, only within his control to kiss back. Hope takes you beyond the limitations of your natural capabilities. It takes you beyond the reality of the resources you have available and it deposits you on the shores of a new world. That's what hope does. And it leaves us with one question. If that is true, if this is what's true about God, if this is what's true about the breath, Leaves us with one question. It was the same question for Abraham, David, everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth, and me. It's the one question, will you kiss back? I'm not going to do much kissing if you think God's here. God's on your back, breathing down your neck, are you? And so I apologize for that implication being laid upon many of your lives about God and the gospel and church and and this thing called Christianity because sadly that has been the case with many God's on your back and he's breathing down your neck to tonight recognize the transference that actually God's not here breathing down your neck God's here you're bumping into God right now and he's wanting to breathe his kiss to you the spirit of all that he is intimately passionately, relationally, 
so that somehow you become one with him and engaged. That's what I believe is the expression of what Christians call salvation. Okay. So the question is, will you kiss him back? Um, we watched the movie Luther on Wednesday night uh, about Martin Luther, the reform of 1517 and all that that stuff. But um, Martin Luther was a crazy character, really. Some of you have seen the movie would have known. He struggled sometimes with his own depressions and demons, but wow. Um, he was a villain. Like these guys were talking about and thought God was breathing down his neck until one day he realized he wasn't. This God was breathing in front of him. It was the precursor to a kiss. And when he kissed back, something exploded into our world, which we now know as the Reformation, which is part of the reason why we're all sat in here tonight. But in the midst of his issues, one of the, the dear old, um, the dear old uh, priests that, that he was connected to there in Germany said, Martin... In the midst of your struggle, here's what I want you to do. Say, I am yours, save me. I love the fact you didn't say, save me and I will be yours. Right? Save me and I'll be a bit different. He said, just Martin, just say in the midst of your trouble, the seeing things as they really are, acknowledging the facts, say to the one who is not on your back breathing down your neck, but is fronting you wanting to kiss you. Say, say to that one, I am yours. Save me. Can I propose to you that that itself will revolutionize your life? And I invite you to do it tonight. I'm not going to push you, pressure you, embarrass you. But I'm going to give you opportunities. So I'd like you just for one moment, just bow your heads quietly, if you would. Just, just not because I think you have to bow your heads and close your eyes to pray, okay? Because if you notice, when I pray in here, I pray with my eyes open. It's because I can see what you monkeys are up to at the, while I'm praying. Now, I do it because the, the reason I do this is just so you have your own little private space, okay? Uh, but maybe tonight, having heard something, maybe you heard spirit tonight. Maybe, maybe. You felt God breathing on your face. Maybe you find that invitation to the kiss. Maybe you find the opportunity to grab a hope that is not, is not one step from failure, but the confident expectation. The last word has not yet been spoken. And, and maybe in that, by just praying this little prayer, maybe in that, by just praying this little prayer, you can take a hold of all the essence of what God is and who he is for you and who you are to him and there'll be a special moment for you which, which I call a moment of salvation. Here's the prayer simply in your heart right now. Just open to God. I am yours. Save me. What a fabulous prayer. I am yours. Save me. Simple as that. I am yours. Save me. I believe in praying that prayer. God is always faithful to what he has promised. And right now, something beyond your ability and resources is happening in your own life, just like with Abraham. Because it said when he did this, he became. You are becoming someone new. You're becoming a new creation. 
you're becoming someone, someone different and you're going to see that God has become someone different to you. So Father, right now in this place, every heart, every life, you know every one of us, you love every one of us, you're absolutely brilliant, we think you're fantastic and we thank you, you're not on our back breathing down our neck but you're in front of us inviting us into the most wonderful relationship and to give us the most amazing promises from the depth of your heart with all the passion of your soul so we receive it. Let everyone walk out of here tonight not with that stupid hope that simply declares we're one step from failure, but with that powerful hope that is a confident expectation that the last word has not yet been spoken because God is with me. I am yours. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You've been very patient. I hope that's helped you. And uh, if you've got any questions... We're always hanging around here at the front. Please feel free to come and talk to us. We don't bite. And uh, we love you and hope to see some of you on Wednesday night. All right, be blessed. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.